0: Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR, talent, and leadership communities to you. For more episodes and the
1: latest articles covering what's new in the world of work, visit HRGazette.com, subscribe, and follow us on social media.
0: The average person spends about 90,000 hours of their life working, and yet many employees or their workplace is broken and that they don't feel cared for and developed at work. Who wants to spend 90,000 hours feeling like that? To engage and develop employees, we need better leaders in the workplace. Managers need to be better listeners, coaches, and collaborators. Great managers help colleagues learn and grow, recognize their colleagues for doing great work, and make them feel truly cared about. Hey, this is Bill Bannum, and in this HR Chat episode, we're going to talk about ways to prime your leaders to better engage and inspire their employees. And joining me on this episode is Matt Tressida, CEO and founder over at Leader, a people development software that helps leaders grow and develop their teams. Matt joined Leader after six years at the unicorn startup Pushpay, where he had led all facets of the sales team. Matt is passionate about hiring, training, and developing leaders at every level of the organization, and this passion is at the foundation of why Leader exists, to develop 1 million leaders through its software. Born in beautiful New Zealand, some say the Canada of the South, Matt moved to Seattle with the Pushpay team, where he met his wife, Kiesa. Matt and Kiesa now live just outside of Dallas with their dog, Lucy. Hey, Matt, welcome to the show today.
1: Hey, Bill, great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So, let's start by hearing a little bit more about you and your career background. Why don't you take a minute or two and tell our listeners all about yourself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. well, thanks, thanks for the intro. it's It's really fun to to connect today. So, um, as you mentioned, Matt, uh, CEO and founder at this company here called Leader. And uh, I'm glad you introduced it, not me, because when I introduced it as Leader people spell it with an A on the end instead of an R. And uh, so I'm still figuring out the accent down here in Texas. But um, my story, as you mentioned, uh, the last company I was a part of, they were a company called Pushpay. Uh, I joined as employee number five. So it was very much in the garage stage of a startup. You know, we, we actually had our office above a gym in Auckland, New Zealand, not a nice neighborhood, very, very garage bandy vibe. And uh, uh, about three to four years later, we had around four to 500 staff. And so in a very short period of time, we went from 1 million to 100 million in revenue, we hit the the billion dollar valuation, all the unicorn metrics they talk about in startup world. And outside looking in, certainly all my friends and family back home were applauding the success of what we had accomplished. But for anyone that's been in those hyper growth environments, uh, at least for me inside looking out, I felt like a failure for most of that five-year journey. And as I look back on it and I think about the lessons that I learned being in software for the first time, being in a startup for the first time, being in sales, being in sales leadership, being a sales executive, all of that in a very short period of time, it was just a very uh, lonely, isolating spot to be as a first-time leader that's not given a playbook on how to succeed. It's just very much sink or swim. So that's very much where the sort of the pain of leader was birthed out of, and uh, I think about that journey often. And, and if I could go back and do it again, what would I do differently?
0: Wonderful, thank you very much. Okay, so maybe you can get uh, into the the mission of leader now, um, and and why you're passionate about the topic of people development. Tell us more.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned it earlier. The mission's to, to serve a million leaders. Uh, that's that's where we started which when I even say that, it makes me sound like Dr. Evil on Austin powers, like 1 million leaders. <laughs> it's not quite, not quite the tone we were shooting for, but the idea, the thesis that we had was, and this is what I saw time and time again, when you have a healthy leader, generally speaking, you have a healthy team. And when you have an unhealthy leader, generally speaking, it creates unhealthy teams. And so what I found is, uh, we had so many people as we were growing that became disenfranchised with their work you, you mentioned 90,000 hours of our life is spent within work. Well, I think most of the time, and so many studies support this, our staff, our team are disengaged, they're disenfranchised, and they're not actually looking forward to coming to work on Mondays. I think at least, you know, certainly prior to me starting this venture was, I think back on my time working at a bank at the head office, everyone dreaded Mondays and the whole purpose of the work week was to get to Fridays. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from Jim Collins is, without meaningful work, it's very difficult to have a meaningful life. And so if we want to have meaningful work, we have to actually not engage in the Sunday scaries, not not be anxious and nervous and not looking forward to coming to work on Monday, but actually really looking forward to digging our, our heels in and, and producing some meaningful work. So the passion for us is how do we develop leaders that don't really have a plan or don't really, haven't really been given a, a playbook on how to be successful and how do we help them to coach and engage their teams in a far more effective way so that we're not turning over our top performers every single year or so. So that that's really kind of the impetus of the idea. And, and like I mentioned, um, a lot of this is for me. If I could go back and do it again, what's the type of leader that I wished I was as we were growing fast?
0: Matt, we live in a changed world. The pandemic uh, changed not just us as people, hopefully making us, for example, more empathetic and understanding, uh, but it, it also changed the, the the way that we work, the, our work patterns. And what we've seen coming out uh, as a result of the pandemic, of course, is uh, lots more remote working and, and hybrid workplaces. But with that comes challenges, I think for for company culture uh, for ways that leaders can engage with and and inspire their employees do do you think that leaders of hybrid or remote teams get as much out of or as able to engage to the same extent with employees compared to full-time office-based organizations
1: such such a great question and I think it's it's front of mind for many HR leaders and many executives. And I think it's true to say, or it's fair to say that no one's really cracked the code on this yet. I think we're all still in that sort of figure it out category. Um, I think it's absolutely possible. I believe it's absolutely possible to have a hybrid or remote team to be as as engaged and as productive uh, as a full-time in the office. But it does require a lot more intentionality. So, my philosophy in general and the approach that we've taken here at Leader, for context, we have about 100 staff, 50 of them are here in Dallas and 50 of them are remote all across the states. And so we're, we're in this hybrid space, very much so. And so my philosophy has been right from the start was I would rather have the right person remote than have the wrong person in office. And so our hiring strategy was built around how do we make sure that we're getting the very best person to fill that role? regardless of whether they were here or not. And if they were here, fantastic. If they weren't, no worries. Now with that comes the challenge of, well, how do you make the people in office not feel like they're lacking in autonomy or flexibility? And then conversely, how do we make the folks that are working remotely not feel like the B team or second best or the afterthought, right? And so for us, as we think about this, like I said, it it requires a ton of intentionality. So one of the things that we do is every single week we do a company all lands, which sounds really heavy-handed but i i believe that the best thing that we can do especially at our stage of a company is establish culture and talk about our values and talk about what's most important and so every single week no matter what we meet for 45 minutes the whole team the whole company and one of the things that we talk about is our values they say uh what gets recognized gets repeated and so every single week we're having people share this is how i saw a value lived out in our team this week and we we're intentional about making sure we're picking people that are both in office and remote and we're just calling out some of those things and bringing us back to first principles for what's most important so i think it's absolutely possible to do it but i would i would caution that with it requires a ton of intentionality and it's a lot more work to build some of that sort of relational equity with folks that are remote.
0: Okay, so as I mentioned in the introduction, we do spend uh, on average 80,000 hours working. Uh, And by the way, listeners, when I was doing my research on the breakdowns, uh, I noticed that the average Brit, the average British person spends 24,648 hours of those making cups of tea uh, during, during, during work hours. I thought that was quite interesting. Here are some stats from Gallup that I'd love for us to talk through. According to their research, 79% of workers are disengaged in the workplace, Matt. At the same time, we know that companies with engaged workers have 23% more profits. Additionally, teams with thriving workers are significantly lower in terms of absenteeism, turnover, and accidents, and they see higher customer loyalty. So my question for you is, why do you think so many employees are disengaged? And what can HR and leaders do about it?
1: First of all, I've heard those Gallup stats before, but I've never heard the, the cups of tea stat, which is hilarious. And I think right there is a is a cultural difference between at least back home in New Zealand and what it's like working in the States where we're not spending 25,000 hours making coffee. Um, yeah, it's absolutely true. And I think as leaders, whether we want to admit it or not, there is a large percentage of the workforce today um, and a large percentage of our teams that are disengaged. And there's a lot of ways to to quantify what that exactly means, but I think we can all agree what a level of engagement and disengagement look like without getting into, into a fine-tooth comb about how to describe it. So when it comes to what we think the number one thing that leaders can do to make an impact and to re-engage and to rebuild and re-establish culture, the number one thing that leadership can do, that HR can do, is invest in effective one-on-ones. I think it's the number one tool that we have in our tool belt as leaders to to bridge the disconnect that can exist between the relationship of the employee and the relationship with the manager. And the reason why we believe, believe that is so often a one-on-one meeting is kind of the lowest priority on the totem pole of the things that we have to execute on that week so when i think about my calendar uh sunday evening i'm getting ready for the week and i'm looking at what i've got to to focus on and i'm looking through my meetings and i'm already realizing that the week's going to be a train wreck i don't know if anyone can relate to that but you're looking at the week and you're thinking okay how am i going to get anything done because i'm in meetings all the time and so if you're like me and you want to be really effective and really task oriented and really focused on the number one goals, what you do is you start shuffling meetings, shortening meetings, or cancelling meetings. And what I did, I didn't realize this at the time, but what I did was the first meeting that I would drop off the books is my one-on-ones with my people because I justified it. I would say things like, oh, I just met with Bob last week, or I just talked to Susie yesterday it's not super important that we sit down and actually have a conversation. And what that leads to, I think I'm sending a message saying, Matt's really effective, or Matt's really good at choosing what's most important. But the actually the message that I'm sending to my team is Matt cares more about the projects than he does about the people. And so what I realized was by deprioritizing one-on-ones, what I'm actually doing is deprioritizing how we care for and how we develop people in the workplace. So I do think that prioritizing effective one-on-ones, making sure that that's a good use of their time, them realizing that this is their meeting and the leader is there to serve them, unblock them, remove obstacles and bottlenecks for them, uh, and reframing that conversation as about their growth and development, the things that we can do to support them. I think all of a sudden, I mean, it's not going to take overnight, but over time, we've seen this with our customers, over time, you'll start to see some of these cultural disconnects improve. And certainly, well, at least hopefully we're making less tea during the day
0: we've all probably had good one-on-one meetings matt um and we have probably all had bad one-on-one meetings as well do do you have any recommendations for making sure that you have more good meetings than not
1: it's funny you say that one of my one of my board members dan said matt i've probably had a thousand one-on-ones over the course of my career and if i was to grade them on a scale of one through ten i'd probably put myself at a two And when we were digging into why he felt he was a two, he would say things like, well, I was never really prepared. I kind of thought last minute what I wanted to talk about. I was in the car. I was driving. I was video off. I wasn't really paying attention. I was multitasking. I was doing emails at the same time. It was probably a two out of 10. So I think think that's something that everyone can relate to and everyone can certainly feel in common with that it can turn into an eye roll meeting the the type of conversations like really do we have to get into a room and talk again at least I, i hear that disposition quite often so what i think it comes down to which we touched on is this the relationship with the manager and i think i think managers fall on a spectrum so on one end of the scale i think you're either a highly relational manager or i call them the best friend manager or the other end of the scale is the highly tactical manager or the let's just get stuff done manager and I think it's a scale. And I don't think necessarily either of those are right or wrong. It's just a balance. And so I think as leaders, we have to identify where do I land on that scale? For example, I know for me, I tend to be the tactical task orientated. Where are we at on this project? Why are we falling behind? How can we're not moving faster? And so what I know is that I have a tendency to be that way. And the outcome of that is I'll hear feedback when we've done 360-degree surveys with our team, I'll hear feedback along the lines of, I don't feel heard, I don't feel cared for, I've been turned into an order taker, I've heard that one, because Matt's just out to get the job done. The flip side of that, let's say I'm the best friend manager, we have an environment where everyone loves coming to work. You're joking and laughing and having a good time, but there's not really maybe a lot getting done, or potentially they're lacking in clarity, or there's no candid feedback, um, but we're having a fun time. And so that manager needs to be aware that ultimately what people are craving is feedback i really believe that i think that especially millennials the thing that we crave the most is clarity i want to know what are we working on why are we working on it and how is the work that i'm doing contributing to the overall mission and how is that going to have an impact on the team or on the customers and so that's for me the 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 spectrum we have to think on between good one-on-one meetings and bad one-on-one meetings is recognizing where you're at are you highly tactical or are you the the highly relational manager and how do you round out some of those rough edges to make sure that we're giving our team the very best versions of ourselves
0: some leaders unfortunately are a little bit prone to micromanaging and this is something that you speak about a lot is this often down to their own insecurities or or lack of knowledge perhaps
1: I absolutely think that's part of it. I, I definitely do. I think when you when you ask people uh, you know what's the most common complaint you hear about managers? number one would certainly be micromanager. and then number two would probably be the opposite, right the macro manager the person that's not really involved at all. Um, to your point, I think one of the reasons managers often default to this is one, maybe that's how they've been managed their entire career. if you've come out of a a, a workforce where all you know is micromanagement and now all of a sudden you've been put into a position of uh, of leadership over across a team, you're just going to default to what you know. So one of the ways that I've tried to approach the topic to kind of uncouple some of the bad micromanagement uh, habits that we have as leaders is first we have to start from a place of giving people benefit of the doubt. Because I think it's very easy to become cynical, to become negative, uh, or ill-disposed towards our manager because they have micromanagement tendencies. But here's the, the thing that I've challenged myself with because I've, I've certainly reported to micromanagers. I would say a, a good rule of thumb in life is it's better to believe the best in somebody and be proved wrong than believe the worst in somebody and be proved right. And so if I'm trying to believe the best in people, when, when I'm feeling micromanaged, the first thing I try and challenge myself with is the question, maybe they're asking me not to micromanage, but maybe they're asking because they don't know the answer. And so the thing that we talk about all the time at Leader is if your manager is asking you, you're already behind. And so one of the best ways to fix these micromanagement tendencies as the employee, not necessarily as the leader, is to proactively communicate. Hey, here's what's going on. No surprises. Bad news is good news. And, and communicating along the way and answering the questions before they come up. Now, I'm not making excuses for the unhealthy, you know, uh, uh, ill-equipped and ineffective manager. I'm not making excuses for them. They need a change. But I think for us as team members, what can we do to manage up so that they're not even needing to come to us with the questions because we're already running circles ahead of that project without needing further guidance. So that's the way that I've been processing it, communicating less of... uh, Answering reactive questions that are coming to me every single minute of every day, but moving more into sort of a proactive mindset.
0: Now, that in a recent blog post about ways employees can better communicate with aloof or micromanaging leaders, you suggest proactive communication is the answer and can be broken down into three categories, which are for your information, for a discussion, and for a decision. Talk to me about each and the scenarios where, where they maybe can make a positive difference.
1: Yeah, absolutely. For your information, for a discussion, for a decision. I actually stole this from President Obama. And so he famously forced his presidential briefings that he received every day. He famously forced uh, his direct reports that when they were to bring a briefing to him, every single paper had to end with, are you looking for a yes? Are you looking for a no? Or are you looking to discuss? And so... It's really hard to distill complex problems down to a simple matter of yes, no, or discuss, but by forcing it that way helped break down, I think a lot of the ineffective communication that can easily happen throughout the week. So for your information is the classic, uh, I got a huge email thread from somebody and I'm just going to forward it onto someone else with an FYI. I'm not a huge fan of that as the recipient. I'm thinking, okay, which part of this, long massive novel that I just received is actually information that I care about. So I think an FYI has to be, more importantly, the capital Y in that in that acronym, which is your information, letting them know exactly what they need to know and what they need to be paying attention to. Number two is the for a discussion. Uh the way that I think about this is never head into a meeting where you don't have some understanding of the different viewpoints that other people are going to have about a topic or a problem you're trying to solve. And the way to do that, if you're trying to have a discussion is pre-reading ahead of time. Hey, here's the data points. Here's the stories. Here's the use cases. Here's the examples so that we can have the discussion. And I think often we find ourselves in these long drawn out meetings thinking, why are we here? We're just discussing a problem that really we didn't have any there was no pre-thought coming into the conversation we're all just ideating on the spot and sometimes that can be really ineffective and then finally so you got four information for a decision then you got four for a discussion and then now you've got for a decision and for a decision is, is is hard i think it just boils down to is this a yes is this a no and i think for us we have to find ways to provide solutions instead of the problems and i think for teams that are moving quickly. That's one of the best things that you can establish in your culture is don't bring bring me problems, bring me solutions. And so if you're looking for a decision to be made, suggest the decision that you're looking to propose in your mind, what's going to be the best outcome. And so I find that some of those things allow us to just move faster and be more effective in general
0: let's talk a little bit about company culture and alignment with the mission of the organization now matt in a post called you live out your core values you suggest often companies say they uphold a certain set of attitudes or behaviors but when you talk with their staff or customers you find out that they come across completely differently Uh, there's a disconnect you say Uh, you suggest that there are two principles that can help Match behavior to expectation, uh, the lowest common denominator, and leaders are not exempt. Tell me about each of those.
1: I think it was Nick Saban, who's a, a college football coach. Uh, I think it was him that said, if you want to get a feel for a culture of a team, don't go and talk to the executive, go and talk to the receptionist. I've always remembered that. And he talked about how when he inherited a team, he didn't go talk to the GM, he went and talked to the receptionist to see. Did they know the values did they know what was important for the team did they know what the mission was did she know what the priorities were or were they disconnected because it's really easy to say oh you know our values are excellence or our values are perfection or what have you but just because you label the values that way it doesn't make it so i wish that was the case (laughs) but i don't think it's that simple the the line that we've all heard is even enron had an integrity poster on their wall." Right? (laughs) Even Enron had an integrity poster on their wall. So that clearly wasn't a part of their values, not because they hadn't articulated it and put it on a poster, but because it wasn't actually lived out in reality. And so when it comes to uh, the lowest common denominator, people will sink to the level of how they're treated Monday through Friday. And so the way that I've thought about this is it's really easy for me to get up in an all hands talk and talk about what our values are. But if they leave that meeting, and have a one-on-one with their manager or sit down with a coworker and a peer and those values aren't being lived out what's having a bigger impact on that employee my talk or how they're actually treated monday through friday and it's certainly the latter and so for us it's holding really high standards across the board of things like we have a no gossip culture and so when gossip happens uh how do we handle that and how do we deal with it instead of it becoming rampant and now Now the company has a gossip culture. And then finally leaders aren't exempt. I think it's really easy, especially in larger teams for leaders to be seen as the sort of ivory tower, better than thou, you know, the, the untouchable, they can live and, and run to the beat of their own drum. And I think that's so unhealthy. The way that I look at it is every single leader is an ambassador for your values. And so if I'm looking to one of my pe- one of my leaders and I'm looking to, okay, uh, do they reflect the values? If there's a doubt there, if they don't reflect the values, I think everything else is for naught. It doesn't matter what you say in a company-wide email. It doesn't matter what you put in a newsletter. If the leadership doesn't reflect the values, everything else is completely wasted time. And so I think it has to come back to, the lowest common denominator of how people are treated every single day. But I also think we have to continue to hold our leadership to a much higher standard because they're ambassadors for that culture. Um, but even as I share all of this, it's it's easy to, to say hypothetically, it's really hard to live out, but I think we have to make this a priority. We have to make this a focus because as well, Peter Drucker says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So if you haven't got a key focus on your values and on your culture, uh, a lot of other things are just going to break.
0: Awesome. Matt, you're not going to believe this, but we're almost at the end of this particular conversation. Before we do wrap up though, how can listeners connect with you? So maybe that's uh, email address, LinkedIn, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Is it's Snapchat still cool? I think it is. Um, who knows? And also how can they learn more about all the things happening over at Leader?
1: Well, unfortunately I'm not on TikTok, so you can't reach me there, but you can email me at matt at leader.com that's l-e-a-d-r.com because we're a tech startup we take letters out of our name to feel trendy and cool um our website is leader.com check us out where we have a key focus on people development how do we fix culture how do we improve glass door results how do we ensure that our teams are getting the best version of ourselves and uh obviously you can follow me on linkedin i post blogs every single month on these different topics and would love to connect
0: okay well that just leaves me to say for today matt This has been a great conversation. Thank you very much for being my guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Thanks, Bill. It's been fun. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Chat Podcast.
1: There are hundreds of conversations with business experts available for free on the HR Gazette website, Apple, Spotify, and all the main platforms. And remember to like, subscribe, and follow us on social media